Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This year marks the 50th birthday of your favorite Sunday World newspaper, to celebrate, we're looking back over some of the front page stories and the scandals with the big name journalists who made it the people's paper. So join us to reel in the years over the coming weeks on Crime World and a special 50th birthday party event, which is going to be held on September 27th at the Sugar Club in Dublin. We've 50 tickets to give away for this live Crime World event to mark the big occasion. For information on how to enter, go to our Crime World social media channels on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Sunday World is 50, a Crime World special. What I wanted to say to you is, of course, you know, we're talking about 50th birthday of the Sunday World. Yeah. And uh, a lot of... I'm 47 years of those 50. You said you were in three. So I was going to ask you because a lot of our listeners on Crime World are, many of them never read the Sunday World. They're a different yes. sort of an audience. Yes. Um, many of them are younger, so they don't remember the don't history of it. They don't know. They take their media in different ways yeah. and and podcasts being one of them. Um, but they don't, I suppose, you know, telling this story, telling the story about you and the Sunday World is new to them. It's a fresh. So what I'm going to ask you, first of all, is to give me a little bit of background on yourself and, and how you came to sort of to the Sunday world. Yeah, well, I was always kind of interested in in um, in music. That was my big end to everything, really. Yeah. I was very interested in music. Um, and um, 
my mother and father didn't want me to be a priest. I was ordained in 1969. They didn't want me to be a priest when I uh, entered in. I'm, 50, I'm 60 years uh, with vows this this year. And what age were you when you entered? I entered at 17. Jeepers. Um, at 17, took permanent vows at 18, which is the, the vows that's keeping me going at this stage. Sounds so mad now, doesn't and it? Sounds mad. Uh, and probably was mad, but it wasn't that unusual at that time. Yeah. Um, and um, went to UCD as a student, which was the big thing for me because before that we didn't. Second Vatican Council, which I'm sure that many of your listeners won't know what it was about either. Church was a very backward place, very powerful, but very backward, uh, up until about 1958 or 59, when an old man called John the 23rd became Pope. Mm. And uh, he w- he was a guy who had been emissaries around Turkey, France, or other place. And he had seen that Pius XII, his predecessor, had stifled every good theologian and every good scripture scholar. Uh, and the church was in a mess because it was still living off Trent, the Reformation, anti-Luther, that it was anti-everything instead of for everything. Okay. Uh, and Mass was in Latin. All the services were in Latin. All my exams that I did were spoken Latin. Right. Um, so it was that far back. And what were you being drawn into it for? It sounds like, I mean, I know like there were different times and we will describe the Ireland of the time, but... I, well, well, it was very simple. It was a, I went to confessions one, even as most people did at that stage. If you were a good Catholic, you went once a week, and if you were a bad Catholic, you went once a month. But that's you went to confessions at those stages anyway. And I was at confessions one evening, had no whole pile to tell, to be honest, because um, I made a hit of it on a football field or something like that. That's, I was a big footballer and, and a good footballer uh, at that stage. And uh, the, the priest said at the end of it to me in the confessional box, did you ever think of becoming a priest? So I was about 15 at this stage. And I said, no. And, he, and I said, why? I said, I'm not good enough to do it. I'm not intelligent enough. And my mother and father don't have money. So I can't be a priest. And he said, would you come down to talk to me? And we can talk about it because you're a good guy. Perhaps you should be think about becoming a priest. So why would your parents have needed money? Well, it was, you, you, if you went to Maynooth at that time, it, you had to pay for your boarding, you had right. to pay for your degree course, you had to pay for... And that's why Maynooth was... Um, so the priesthood was for the middle class? The priesthood was middle upper right. class at that stage. Um, um, Bernadette Devlin, um, I did an interview with her in 1971, we had a big conversation about that. Uh, I was just ordained at that time and I was the editor of a religious magazine, so... And it was banned by the church. They banned me from using the interview. Uh, John Charles McQuaid banned me from using the interview. But I went and used it anyway because I asked him, I said, "What?" I mean, imagine me. I was only, I was only 22, 23 at the time. with no sense. I was made an editor of the magazine and uh, uh, had been writing for Albert Reynolds' pop magazine before that. And the Archbishop, everything... The, the religious magazine had to go through a censor 
appointed by the Archbishop to make sure there was nothing contrary to faith or morals. So we were never going to have any wild ideas in our religious And magazine. what did you do in this interview? You addressed the fact that No, I just asked Bernadette Devlin, I had a question and answer and I sat down with her in her home, yeah. smoking cigarettes with her. Um, and uh, I said, you know, what, what, I knew she had been educated by nuns. I knew that the nuns had given her her feisty ability to be able to stand up to injustice wherever it was. And I knew she was a good brainy girl. By this stage, she had had a, a child. Uh, uh, and so the, the church suddenly found her, the person who was a great spokesperson for justice in the North, suddenly became an embarrassment because she'd had a child. So I thought she was a great girl, you know, mm. and uh, um, uh, I thought she was fantastic, she was talking about. And, and we talked about church. <clears throat> she said, you know, Christianity doesn't uh, has, uh, you can never say that Christianity doesn't work but you can definitely say that Christianity has never been tried mm. um, uh, and she then went, then went on to say that there'll be no revolution there'll never be a modern church in Ireland she said because the rich priests are in Ireland and they don't want anything to change their families don't want anything to change they're on a career path and they'll never say anything because only the rich become priests in Ireland the poor people become priests in religious orders and go as missionaries across the world. And there'll be there'll be revolutions in every country in the world by Irish Catholic priests, but there'll never be a revolution in Ireland. Mm. And uh, they didn't like that at all. But eventually I, I, I had a little, you know, I, I went and I said, what's contrary to faith and morals in this? And he said, John Charles wrote me a letter back. There is nothing contrary to faith and morals in the article that I can see. However, it would be very imprudent to use it in a Catholic magazine. And the cheek of me, I wrote back and said, Your Grace, thank you for your advice. But I said, I won't take it. <laughs> prudence, editorial prudence is an editorial decision, which I will take as long as I'm certain there's nothing contrary to faith and morals. And I published it, and it was translated into 18 different languages across the world. It was, it was an incredible interview. Uh, with, with and the you headlined this idea that the Irish priests... Oh, well, I, I just, I didn't have to. There were so yeah. many other good gems within it. Yeah. So basically, how did I get into journalism? That's yeah. how I got into national journalism. Mm -hmm. Before that, I'd just been a pop journalist. When I went to university and all of the rest of it, I saw that the world was changing and that what I was learning was of absolutely no use to me. So I learned what I had to learn to pass exams and studied what I needed to do outside the framework of the students that I needed to carry me through, that it would be a useful pastor in a world after that. Now, remember, the Beatles came in that. Like, did you want to be a change maker from back then? No, I just wanted to be useful. Right. If I was going to give my life to it, I wasn't going to be sitting in, uh, being of no use to anybody in the place. I wanted to talk to the people that the Beatles were talking to. I wanted to be a fan of Elvis Presley changing the world, yeah. the king of rock and roll, the king of freedom, the king of the man who changed life for every one of us mm -hmm. uh, uh, because, you know, he, he just kicked over every trace there was um, in America and across the world. And those were the kind of leaders that, that I was looking forward to and the Berrigans in America were leading the way too and John Pope John the 23rd he called the Second Vatican Council which actually gave a, a huge basis theology to this that the world had to change that the Catholic Church had to change that we had to get rid of Latin that we had to face the people that the priests were to be 
in the world but not of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a great theology. And they said that you didn't have to be a baptized person to be saved, that Jesus saved everybody and it was up to God to save it. And that was massive because the Catholic Church then stopped be- being looking upon itself as the only right church in the world. And so aloof. Uh, uh, but it, it, the aloofness was the great was this great um, um, attraction because it had it had a wonderful theology which divided body and soul, and the world could have your body, but your soul was for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a kind of duality that's very frequently used to this day, and it is entirely both theologically and pastorally and, and uh, psychologically, um, uh, absolutely one. You know, we're one human being and Christ uh, saved us as a human being. He didn't only say your body can burn in hell, but your soul can come to God. That wasn't what he did. He said you're a human being and you're a unique human being. God never stops loving you. You will, no matter what you do, God will never stop loving. You have the choice whether or not to love back. That's an incredible thing to be able to say. And that was what, that was the kind of freedom and choice that I wanted to give people, that there is a spiritual life that's, that's useful, that there is a, that religion ought to give you a perspective on the world. It wasn't against everything. It was actually the one thing that gave you a perspective that carried you through the world. So we're talking early 1970s. Ireland was a place that few would recognise now, but it was a very, you know, it was ruled by the Catholic Church. You touched on if a woman had a baby outside marriage, they were spurned. There was all sorts of, there was no divorce. If a woman had a baby, she had to come to get blessed in the church. There was no, there was no divorce, obviously. There was no separation. There was all these things. We were a, a, a country that went on mass to church on a Sunday where often 97%. Went to church, yeah. And, you know, people ate fish on a Friday and they followed these, you know, the rules and regulations of the church, a very different place than it is now. But there were but good people too. Sometimes of we course. look upon that. I mean, there would have been no education had it not been dedicated religious. It was a no different, it was a different time. Different times. And, 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 and you're really sort good. of coming to age as a priest in this time. You are, you know, there's a, there's a change in the Catholic church you feel that you've a message to tell. And in the midst of all this, along comes this very brazen, brash thing called the Sunday World. Mm. 1973, I think, was it was launched. Um, there was pictures on the front of it of glamorous women. There was stories. Not that glamorous if you look at them now, but then. I know. Glamorous. Then they were, they were for the farmers. Isn't that what they said at the time? Pictures. But of course, there was no internet. There was very little television. There was two channels. Was there or just one? Or he, uh, around that time, there were, uh, that time there'd only been the two channels. It was the yes, two channels. Channel. I think it was black and white TV in most homes. Um, yes, for the early 70s. Yeah. I remember been, yeah. we get our first coloured television. Yeah. In the 70s, in the when they first All Ireland was, was, was in colour. So that was all. And, 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 you know, the newspaper, people got up out of bed to go out and buy the newspaper to see what was going on in the world. I mean, they were. There was no the, Saturday evening Mass. Yeah. There was, it Everybody was, it went was, on a Sunday. Everyone went on a Sunday. And of course, so this Sunday, Sunday World newspaper comes along and it was like, it was this very rebellious thing. Racy. 
racy and you know stories it about was tabloid it was it was it was i think people knew what they expect because of the title sunday world because the previous one was the news of the world and that had been here previous had oh, it? oh a long time yeah yeah, yeah a long of course time. it would have yeah. Yeah. A, a, a long time before yeah. that and it was it was the kind of paper that if you were seen reading you were going to hell right. and the, the <laughs> its advert was it, yeah. as advert its, its advertising uh, slogan was all human life is here right Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant slogan. All human life is here. Which, of course, I used to continually say that if you read the Bible, all human life was there long before the news of the world. So it was, you know, Jerry McLaughlin and other, um, and Jerry McGuinness, I should say, they began to realize that there was room for an Irish Irish version version. of this. And it was a big, big, big insult. And uh, they they chose Joe Kennedy and Kevin Marin as their first editor uh, of it. Uh, Joe was this very solid man, had been involved in pop magazines and so forth. Um, was married was married to one of the Johnsons, the, the musical people. Uh, Kevin was came from the greatest stable of them all, uh, which was the Sunday Press stable, the Michael Hands, the, uh, the Michael Deneves, yeah. the, the the Kevin Marins, Anna um, Brophy's, uh, all of that world, uh, and and they had established a a very good reputation in rural Ireland as well as everywhere nice. else. And the Sunday Press was a very, very powerful paper. Uh, you know, and it had had a fellow called Robert Nash, God be good to him, a priest, writing in it, small ones. They had Angela McNamara talking about sex education for young people. It was edging into something. Into you know, something. But the Sunday World came along and punched but this. The Sunday was World came just out, and, and Kevin Marin came straight to me because he, he had done interviews with me. I was going around the dance halls mm-hmm. um, at night and Kevin followed... Explain that now before you go on. You're right, right, in the right, dance floor. Dance floor, yeah. But the show band era was massive. Yeah. Uh, and in Dublin, the centre of Dublin, there were nine ballrooms in the centre of Dublin, dancing with no alcohol. Uh, and there was nine ballrooms in the centre of Dublin which had dancing seven nights per week. Nice. So... There was nowhere else to go. And they went they went to the pub, had a few drinks, then went in and danced at two o'clock. The band didn't come on to 12 o'clock yeah. and ended at two o'clock. Uh, and the massive there was Dickie so you Rock were, and Joe Dolan and, and and you were knocking around at all these and you were I, I was their chaplain yeah. at that stage because because don't forget I come in through the pop magazine yes. Albert Reynolds' magazine uh, that's how we so did that mean you attended you attended out of in you know it was your passion as well the music oh it was I mean I mean I, mean, I danced it up to the door smoking a pipe and yeah. how's Father Brian going in and never paid into a dance in my life stood right. at the top of the stage boys would come in and uh, have a chat and all the rest some would go to confession some would have their problems you'd talk to them I'd stand for uh, maybe half an hour uh, at the top of the thing because I was madly interested in music and they were fantastic entertainers Joe yeah. Dolan Dickie Rock Brandon Boyer where are you going to get the like of them you know yeah. they were fantastic and were you based in Mount Argus I was at based this in stage. Mount Argus yeah okay. I, and I had a Honda 50 right uh, that was my that was my m- mode of transport yeah. which I had great trouble getting because they wanted me to go on a bicycle. Uh, <laughs> but I got a Honda 50 because I was editor of the cross um, and I needed to cross town for printing and all of that. So I was I was unknown about town and Kevin Marin said to me, you have to write for the Sunday World. And I said, Kevin, no, I'm not writing for the Sunday World. Why? Because I'm an editor of a magazine and if I have a story I wanted myself, not for the. Sunday did you also World. think it was gonna go, not? It wasn't going to go down well, or I mean, did it seem? Did it seem just extraordinary, even the idea of a priest writing for this? No, I, I, it, it did seem extraordinary, but I had this conviction that 
don't forget what I said, the priest at Second Vatican Council should be in the world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't escape from the world. I mean, I, I, the old men in Madragas, all the community in Madragas, went to bed at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I kicked my Honda 50. <laughs> <laughs> I all my helmet. I went out the front door and didn't come in to 2 o'clock. I mean, yeah. it was, most of them didn't know what I was doing and certainly wouldn't have approved of it. But I thought, you know, I was doing, you know, as long as I was up for 6 the next morning, nobody missed it, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> which I was most cases uh, and and so therefore I was doing this and I needed to do it and I said to Kevin no I, I was even turning the cross around as with Bernadette Devlin and all, all the people writing for it Brian Faulkner and was the know. cross given out free in no, the churches no, or what, what no, it, was, it? It, was, it was two shillings it was sold yeah uh, it, 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 the Second Vatican Council had killed old religious magazines right they wanted to punish me because I wrote surreptitiously for the pop magazine. Mm-hmm. And they found out when I was ordained that I was doing this. So the first job they gave me after ordination was to, put out, to be editor of this magazine, hoping, knowing that it was going to fail. Right. And that would tame this wild idiot. And he'd know failure would be the best way to teach him. Right. So, but I went and learned and went to courses in journalism, learned the art of journalism, learned as much as I could the art of editing, um, got good writers to write mm-hmm. for it. Rodney Rice, Liam Nolan said, uh, Michael Hand, Jim Hand, uh, all of those guys wrote for me. Um, Mary uh, Robinson, she was, uh, she was Mary Burke then, and she wrote for me. Um, I, 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 Brian Faulkner wrote for me, uh, the Taoiseachs of the time, every president I interviewed for it. And what sort of sales did it have? Well, it had 8,000 when I started and in five years it had 26,000, mm. which was a very respectable yeah. magazine at that stage because the advertising came in. You know, they never made money. I didn't want it to make money. Uh, I paid for the writers um, and all of that. But it was a... Uh, uh, you wanted it to succeed. I wanted it to be useful, yeah. to be uh, uh, a Catholic magazine with a small C to help people um, to entertain mm. first, to educate some PBC principles, uh, to educate uh, and inform, mm. uh, and to be factual and inform, but mainly to entertain and educate. And who were your readers? Well, schools. It was certain schools, it was certain factories. I went around with me Honda 50 to various factories up and down the country, borrowed cars here and there, went into factories that there were a lot of people working in it. Mm. You'd get a promoter and you'd send them. Do and they they they'd sell the cross for you and send you back the money for it if yeah. whatever they were paid for and presumably many families in the many families I sold I used to sell two thousand outside the chapel door right right I stood at every single mass in Mount Argus for two Sundays of the month um, uh, and I, I was with the, with the cross in my hand and yeah. they would pay for so the face was coming yeah. in, into people and 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 Kevin what, what at that people, point was the reach of the Sunday world. It wasn't, it wasn't, well, it, 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 and when 1978 wouldn't have been great. It would have been small enough. Now. They had a big, difficult time starting. And they had this wonderful plan. Jerry McGuinness had this wonderful plan to go down um, and to bring the paper, send a controversial article down to the various country people like Cork and yeah. Archdiocese, and so that the bishops and the parish priests would read it and then preach against it the following Sunday, and then everybody went out and bought it. It was a marvellous, unusual 
way, and that's what they did. Mm-hmm. They 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 got priests to condemn it all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and they built it. What up. A marketing campaign. It was it was unusual. Yeah. They did genuinely did that. Yeah. And then when I came into it in seventy three, uh, no, um, seventy six, um. I finished in the cross and I went to teach journalism in the communications centre, Catholic communications. So by 76, had it, he first approached you when he set up? And 73, he said, no. no. And in 76, at that point, it had grown. Oh, it had grown considerably. It had, they would claim at that stage, they would have half a million readers, right. which was probably about 100,000 copies. Uh, probably that was an exaggeration, but it was going in that direction. Yeah. So Good figure. A good figure. It's a good figure. So they came back to me anyway. Uh, and, and Kevin and uh, Joe Kennedy come back to and Jerry McGuinness and Joe, what's the Mr. McLaughlin? He came to and they wanted to get they wanted to get something in that would you know that would placate you know that there would be a priest in there yeah uh, you know that it wasn't all bad um, and I said to him I couldn't I couldn't write for that look I couldn't I'd be in fierce trouble if I wrote for that and Kevin Marin looked at me across the desk and I didn't know I don't know if you did you know Kevin Marin no uh, he was killed in a car uh, air crash um, and Kevin was a wonderful journalist a wonderful journalist um, he would always himself and Mick Hand taught me everything that I know about journalism the first thing they would say watch the story give it to me in one sentence <laughs> yeah Brilliant, you know. Yeah. What's the story? Yeah. Focus phrase. the mind. Focus the mind. If there's no story, yeah. you know, don't be giving me any big note. Just watch the story. So he said to me, okay, uh, well, I we have a, a half a million readers every Sunday, Brian. This is now just looking at me across the table. And he said, we have a half a million. Uh, he made it said even Father Brian at that stage. Um, we have a half a million readers, okay? Most of them are not going to church. And never will be in a church. They're young, they're fresh, they're all the rest of it. And you say you have nothing to say to them. Now, you're going to have to bleep the next bit. Yeah. What kind of a priest are you if you have nothing to say to your people? So I said, when do you want me to start? Right. Literally. He literally spoke to you, to your mindset. He knew how to yeah. do that. And, and he said... That's what made him a very good journalist. That's what made him ever. And he said, I said, well, when do you want me to start? And I said, I don't know if I'll be able to keep this up. You know, I really don't know. Did you have to get permission from anyone or? Well. You probably should have. I should have, yes. Yeah. I, I, I went to my provincial. No, well, I went to my provincial and said, that, you know, um, I was off the cross at this stage as I was teaching journalism. And, and I said, I think somebody should be in the media. Yeah. Uh, and the provincial at the time didn't realize what he was doing. And he said, well, give it a try. Yeah. Now, I'd say he never read one in his life, or if he had, he'd have told me not to, you know. So um, so I went, I went and did it, and so at the, uh, what I did was, I said, I'll do it for a month, and if you like it, I'll go on, and if I like it, I'll go on. But at least and after a month, we'll have, you know, we, we can stop it or start it. Mm-hmm. And that was it, August 1976, I began writing. Uh, and nobody ever told me to stop. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. Amazing. And that's, that's the only contact I ever had. Yeah. Um, they, one of the things that I had in my favor was that uh, Kevin Marin, not uh, Michael Hand and Liam Nolan had made me join the NUJ, mm-hmm. National Union of Journalists, so that nobody could say you're taking a job from anybody else. Yeah. 
Um, would have been very strong in those days. Very strong. And I was, yeah. I was in 1972, I joined the National Union of Journalists. They didn't want to take me because the first question on it was, do you earn all your money or a percentage of your money from journalism? Yeah. Because you didn't earn any money. <laughs> and I said, I don't earn any money. Yeah. So they turned me down. Yeah. So I wrote back to them in London, Acorn Road, I think, Acorn House, in London. I wrote back to them a very simple letter. I said, tell me, what's the difference between me earning my money and not getting it and a henpecked husband who earns his money and doesn't get it? And they wrote back, we accept you. Right. <laughs> And I'm, so what did you write about? Well, <clears throat> Kevin Martin, again, I said, what, what do you want me to write about? And he said, anything except religion. Write about people. Write about stories. Mm-hmm. Write about helping people to live a better life. I don't want you writing holy stuff. Uh, just write about people. And you're good at that. Yeah, You're good at writing people's stories. I was seeing the in the cross. I know what you're like. So write about that. Don't be coming in trying to convert the world. Just give people a bit of peace for this week. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant. And he said, and and I said, what will I call it? He said, I'll tell you what I'll call it. A little bit of religion, right? So in case you'd get carried away with too much religion. And was it with Father Brian Darcy or uh, Father Brian? Uh, uh, Brian Darcy at that stage. Yeah. Father Brian. It changes, has changed yeah. over the time. Sometimes it was Father Brian and yeah. sometimes it was Father Brian. I always Darcy. think that is the absolute epitome of fame when you don't need your second name anymore. <laughs> you know, no matter what it is that you have your fame for. Yeah. Well, Nicola is a fairly good name now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, mm. So as time went on, was there... The, 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 there was a bit of a bit of doubt as to whether wasting a half a page as it was then on religion couldn't be better used with an ad right. at that stage. Right. And particularly for Mr. McLaughlin up in, in, in uh, uh, Jerry McGuinness was always in favour of it. Right. Totally in favour of it. Yeah. Because uh, he knew it was a selling point. He knew very, very well it was a selling point. But Mr. McLaughlin wasn't that sure about it. Uh, but one day I wrote about a true story, an absolute true story. Um, I was in Mount Argus on duty one day. This woman came in. She wanted help. Uh, she was pregnant. Um, she had no home. She had nothing, nowhere to go. And I sat her down and we chatted for a little while. And she was a lady who had come up from the country, had been inveigled up from the country by a, a man, a manipulative Jackie, uh, um, who said he'd look after her. Her mother had died young. Uh, and so she came up to him um, and um, uh, they, they had a tempestuous, he, he treated her horribly, burned her feet with cigarettes, burned the, the child that already had a previous child with cigarettes. Um, and she just wanted to get away from, used to bring guys into the house, gamble everything they had on cars. She told me the whole story and I said, would you mind if I wrote that story? And she said, no, as long as you don't use my name. Yeah. And I wrote the story the next day, next week for the Sunday World. And <clears throat> the reaction to it was incredible, incredible. Uh, I went up on a Tuesday morning to be in my place <clears throat> and then Sophie Hunt was McLaughlin's secretary. And <clears throat> there were plastic bags, sacks of bags, uh, and she was on her knees in the office trying to open them 
mm-hmm. and everybody came in to get them opened and everybody was fascinated by the amount of money that came in. People sending a pound and whatever. Pound and five pounds and yeah. bits of pounds and yeah. pounds of pounds. But this woman, <clears throat> yeah. We were able to set her up in a house and there was still a lot left That's over. amazing. And McLaughlin said, if you can make money like that from religion, we'll keep it. <laughs> that's literally true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you see... What and and that's what started the Helping Hand Fund. What people Michelin. don't remember is that, like, those stories were almost secrets in those days, those mm. kind of stories, because there was no place to air them. There was no place for people to have their voice. No, she couldn't go home because she'd had two children. And the shame. Uh, and remember Joe Kennedy saying to me, Brian... I can't believe that that is still going on in Ireland. Joe, Mm. I said to him, look, you're living in a rarefied atmosphere of journalism and so forth. If you were in my job, you'd know this going on city and country every day of the week. And you were seeing everything that was going on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about the Helping Hand Fund. The Helping Hand Fund began as a result of that. I, you know, I just couldn't keep it up on my own, you know. Yeah. Michelin came in and we became, Michelin McCormick was a journalist at that stage. She had the woman's page, she was the woman's editor eventually. Uh, and she started it off, not started off, started writing about it. And, and um, then there was another man called Brian Kelly who came in to um, organise it. And so what were they writing? They were people were sending them their stories, and they were and and also they became known as every every September, I'd get hundreds of letters in asking for money to buy a uniform for the children go back to school, right. buy books go back to school. Every first communion, yeah, you'd get hundreds of requests. And would you go people. through some of these and some of the stories would stand out and maybe you'd... No, I, I very rarely used the stories because right. I, I thought they were not, uh, not. But the people knew about them. We'd, knew, we'd write some in Broadway about them, but not 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 specifically. We kept confidentiality. And Brian would go around, Brian Kelly um, would go around um, and he would sort of, like Vincent de Paul, he'd get them to look at the stories, check them out to make sure they weren't, yeah. um, uh, they weren't bogus. Now, there were some bogus, but relatively few uh, bogus ones. Um, and that's what we did. And it went on for 30 years, that, you know, until yeah. Michelin left. And I, every Christmas, I still send about 20 grand out Yeah, yeah. to people. And that was born basically within the Sunday world. Yes, within the Sunday world. We, we uh, talked about that you saw, you know, I suppose the privileged lives of journalists who were yes. working, bringing home a decent wage and all the rest of it and uh, but you were kind of dealing with all sorts of people in Mount Argus you were also probably up close and personal to some of the people who were featuring in the Sunday world as as kind of crime started to seep yeah. in as a, a valid story as these criminal figures became you know the likes of the general and that started to become uh, you know front page news and um, presumably given where you were in Mount Argus, maybe you, you would have known of them or their families. Did that ever cause you a compromise? Were you seen as the Sunday World guy or um, were they coming in, landing into you as well? Yeah, a lot of people of the Kremlin world were around that area. Uh, and of course, a lot of people too, at the dances at night and in clubs. I mean, don't forget, Connell Street and that whole area was like an All-Ireland Day at yeah. 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And there was all sorts of things happening. Mm. And, you know, there was so many people 
um, uh, who were uh, impregnated outside marriage and marriage is broken down and so forth. And there were quite still at that time quite a number of home for unmarried mothers around the place. And they were becoming very much more um, pastor and kind. And I was often sent out to, to uh, ask to go out to, the, to those homes um, to talk to the girls and, you know, to, just to give them a bit of encouragement, and, yeah. you know, not to think that they were bad or outside the church or outside anything, congratulating them on, you know, every child is a precious child. And, you know, you had a, you had a, a ritual which you did and you went round three or four of those, Navin Road and Dunboyne were the two particular ones that would go. The prostitutes also came to me very strongly. Mm. Um, there was a, an old guard called Lugs Brannigan and yeah. Lugs used to protect the, the girls, you know, um, and uh, um, um, the prostitutes asked, they had a retreat one one day a year, mm. uh, uh, which was it was just a, uh, nobody knew it was prostitutes. It was a, so was this? Would this have been so almost it was very free, a lot of the drug addiction? Were these women who mm. were working the streets mm. to, to feed? Many of them are. What they were doing was working the streets to buy clothes for first communion school. Yeah. And that they were kind of overtaken almost by addiction when that really came in, the heroin. A lot of them were, a lot of them were definitely, a lot of them were. But before that, they were, they were just, you know, working the streets. And possibly with an addiction the, that wasn't, the bills. you know, could have the, been. Their addiction was poverty. Or, or maybe alcohol as well. I mean, some of it, might have, they might have been, but yeah. some of their husbands might have been. Yeah, Or, exactly. or, or, yeah. or their families might have been. <clears throat> so that was the way it was. It was a different Ireland. It was, you know, it was a different Ireland. You know, nowadays we look at it and it's, it's uh, uh, we think we're bright and brilliant, but there's just as many people dying on the streets. There's just as many people without homes. There's just as many people with no future. And there's just as many people taking their own life, which was a rarity in those days. And you would have been seeing when that addiction, as I talk about, mm. when the heroin epidemic came in, probably within, again, Mount Argus because of its proximity mm. to some of the neighbourhoods yes. that were affected by a crumlin, for example. You probably were going in and out of homes where addiction was really taking a hold. Uh, yes, later on, I, I became Paris priest in 76, yeah. uh, as I began writing for this underworld, and I was there 13 years, um, a Paris priest in that area. And it was, you know, that was the area of the, the general and... And others that were others. always all over the front pages. I'm not going to mention the names, <laughs> yeah. but there were certainly others. Across, yeah. They lived across the way, and yeah. there's one of them got married in Mount Argus. Uh, and and, and um, uh, uh, was, what would you do huge... now in that situation if you you knew one of them was due to get married, and you knew maybe the Sunday World wouldn't have minded being unwelcome guests to, in the bushes to take a photograph of that? Would you have? Did you, you were a bit compromised? I'm sure. No, no. Um, you uh, just kept zip. I mean, there was there was there was a place for journalism and there was a place for being a priest. So you compartmentalized. I compartmentalized it, it and and, yeah. and all Ma Kevin Marn um, 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 and and Bill Stewart and all the others often gave out hell to me uh, for not giving them the story. But one of the stories that that happened was an interesting one. I I, I decided, and my father died in nineteen eighty one, and. Um, uh, my mother had already died in 1965 before I was ordained, long before I was ordained. She died at 52 years of age. So, you know, I realized that, you know, 1981, I'm just about 10 years a priest now, 11, just over 12 years a priest. And 
I realized that, you know, I, I really need to update myself a lot in, in theology, pastoral theology, psychology, um, ways of talking to people. And uh, so I went to Berkeley University in California. I got permission to, to do a, a term there, two terms, and, and studied there very seriously. Um, and and did another one in Chicago later on because I needed to do it, um, and we had a house in Chicago. So I was going to uh, go, going to off to um, to do this course in Berkeley, and there was a big scandal in America at the time. A cardinal Cody was the cardinal in Chicago, uh, and there was a big scandal that there was two million dollars gone missing, and that there was a lady friend somewhere along the line. Uh, uh, who he said it was his cousin, but um, and, she, and she, maybe she was. Uh, 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 but but uh, but anyway, level of scandal there. There was a big level of scandal, and it was on the front page of every paper. Yeah. And Kevin Marin said when he was going to, this is this is Kevin again. Uh, you're going to Chicago, right? Get the inside story on Cody. <laughs> half joke, but half serious. And uh, coming up to Christmas at the end of November. I got a phone call. I came in one day. I was in a place. I, I had no money to pay my way, so I had to work in a parish to pay my way. And it was a woeful setup, woeful setup. Very right-wing parish, Monsignor, there. Uh, full of black people in Oakland, California. Uh, great people, but he hated black people. And he was the pastor. Mm. So I went into this not knowing any of this. Uh, and I went into it. And of course, very quickly, the, the people began to realize this is a different kind of guy to the parish priest or whatever it was. But anyway, one day I came in from studying in Berkeley and this old guy who ha had no time for me at all, he just, I was, a, he put me in a room without a television. I couldn't, I could only join him for a meal and on several occasions. Big, long table, big, long oak table, a mahogany table. Uh, he, it was about, 10 feet long, he sat at the top with a bell ringing for a service and I sat at the bottom. Uh, and, it was, and, at the, and it was, you spoke when you were spoken to and that was it. When he came in, he was at the door and he said to me, what kind of a guy are you? Are you a spy or something? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you were at college today. He said, two cardinals rang for you. What, how come two cardinals would look for you? Cardinals. Cardinals. Yeah. And, and I said, who are they? And he said, some guy with a funny name from Ireland. I said, Cardinal Fee? That must be it. I couldn't understand what his name was. He said, he'll ring you later on this evening. He's over here. I, mean, he, I said, he's a friend of mine for a long time. There's no problem with that. He'll ring him. Who is the other one? He said, the guy pretending to be Cody. How do you mean pretending to be Cody? He said, he said he was Cody, but Cody wouldn't be ringing someone like you. I said, he might. I said when he was in when he was studying in Rome, he stayed with my aunt in Sneem. Mm. And my aunt said that she was going to write to him to say that I was here because my father just died, don't remember, her brother. Uh, and um, so he said, well, he, he said, we'll see at six o'clock. He's ringing at six o'clock. So I rang, he rang at six o'clock. Cardinal Cody rang me mm. out of kindness to him. And he said, you know, so I talked to him nice and gently. And as I was talking to him on the radio was, Cardinal Cody has been arraigned. He was talking to me as the news was telling me he was being arraigned. 
So I had to be nice to him because he was being nice to me. And I was nice to him. And I said, Karen, I, I actually see that you're in difficulties yourself. That's, uh, what, what's the story there? So he told me the whole story. It was some priests that were not satisfied. They were making these stories up. And mm-hmm. his, his great line was, I'm cardinal here for 16 years. There's 50 million turnover every year in the archdiocese. And if in 15 years I could only steal 2 million, I wouldn't be much of a thief, would I? You know? Right, right. <laughs> kind of a, a, a back, backhanded logic to it all, right? So he, he, he told me, and I said, cardinal, you know, uh, he said, surely that story is not in Ireland. Oh, I said it's the front page of Ireland all the time. Has been all summer. And would you mind if I told your side of the story? Mm. I would like if you would. So I said, I'll tell you what, Cardinal. Can I ring you back in three quarters of an hour? It'll take me that long to type up the story. And I, if you don't want it published, I won't publish it. If you think it's okay, I think it's okay. So I typed up what he had sold me quite quickly uh, and, I, and I read it back to him and he said, I think I should hire you as my press agent. Nice. He said, the guys over here are not half as good as that. That's a great story. You have a, that's it perfectly. That is the truth of the story. And I said, would you mind if I used it? No, no go ahead and publish it. So you sent Kevin Martin. So I said, Kevin Martin, <laughs> the only, honestly, yeah. uh, world exclusive. Yes, yes, yes. Brian gets the inside story in Karen. Was he telling the truth? Or was his defense well, a bit, what what came of it? I don't, I'll tell you what happened. He, he, he was, uh, he was, I mean, I come home from college. You're mostly people who say, would I have only nicked this amount if I could have nicked more? Aren't right. usually sort of really, people people sort of, uh, you know, defending themselves with another question. Yeah, well, I, 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 there was a truth in what he said. Uh, I knew that from the inside story of clergy. There was a couple of clergymen who are very famous guys and novelists, as said, some of them. Uh, and they wanted him out of it because he was too conservative. I don't okay, understand so that. That bit of it was true. So that that bit of it was yeah. true. Uh, and they never, there was never an arraignment. So he, he then phoned me, said, would you like to spend Christmas with me? Right. Since you're away from home. I said, well, I may not get away from Christmas, but if I can, I'll try to get down. But he died on the 8th of December himself right. anyway. From cancer, so we never knew what was. So the only story the, that ever did yeah. was 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 it was it. You never met the cousin, nor did I want to. No, no, uh, no. I wasn't. I never. I mean, I was in San Francisco. She was in Chicago, so I wasn't meeting anything. But that, of course, is what they call in tabloid world a splash. A, a splash, splash mm. is your front page story. Yeah, those who don't know it. Yeah. So did did a lot? Did some of your work actually? You know. Do that? Did it, did it transcend to the front page? I mean, presumably, mm. as time went mm. on, and there was a lot of big scandals surrounding the Catholic Church, and even maybe some people that you, you knew very personally. Yes. Did Did you feel compromised, or were you able? Oh, to no, give a I bit was. Able, well, I was always able a journalist. To tell, I was always able to tell the truth. To be honest, yeah, I was always able to tell the truth about it, and I, I, I and to this day, I'm still telling the truth. Um, I became very unpopular because of writing for this underworld with other clergy, yeah. even within my own order. And was that when the the sort of the the attitudes were turning against the church? I suppose by the you know even before that, mm. even before that. I mean, it was brought up at a, a meeting of clergy here uh, to the bishop of Dublin. I was a parish priest, and another parish priest said at a meeting of Dublin clergy that. Um, I should be removed from parish priest because I was uh, a disgrace. I was letting down 
the quality of parish priests in Dublin by being a parish priest in Dublin and writing for a tabloid paper. And he went on to give what was in the paper, you know, sexual yeah. stories, et cetera, et cetera. And the bishop said to him, well, it seems you read the paper better than most of us. You know everything that's in it. So if Brian's writing for you, it must be you that he's writing for because you know more about the paper. And that ended. It was a, it was a reasonably good answer from the, from the man. But I mean, it I went to... Same, it was maybe that same sort of attitude that you had to it that, you know, you might as well be there. Yes, exactly. What else could you be? Yeah. I mean, so they said this, and I'm comparing myself to Christ under any manner of means, but I mean, that's what they said. He mixed with prostitutes and thieves, mm-hmm. you know. And Sunday World Readers. And, and, and <laughs> Which is the same thing as Sunday World <laughs> Where does that come in the advertising? Lovely, that's about our ex- lovely readers. <laughs> um, They're beautiful readers, very dedicated readers. Yeah. I mean, I can step, even coming down here today, I walked down from the car park and I was stopped five times yeah. in North Earl Street. Yeah. And I'm 33 years out of Dublin. But they still, they still, yeah. they still chat Absolutely. to you and talk to you and talk to you as as somebody they know. See, and that's the point. I could stop out of Kerry or anywhere else, and the people would talk to me because I they know more about me than I know about myself. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm writing forty seven years. I know, and you've spilt a lot out on I've spilt those pages. A lot, it's a lot an of, awful yeah. lot of kind of like things that you were disturbed about, things that you were, you, you know what I mean, very intimate. Well, you know, personal, I told them. I, very I, I, intimate, personal. I, 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 you know, I, 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 that's the way it was. You know, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Um, and, and um, I, 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 you know. And you were very forward thinking and modern and you were always addressing issues that others wouldn't. And, and, and I'm telling them what was going to happen. Yeah. 20 years before it happened mm. because I, I could see it. Anyone on the ground could see what was, where the thing was going mm. and now it's there. Yeah. And now everybody's running around saying, there's no priest, religion doesn't matter, Catholic Church could go in the morning. And I don't agree with that either. I yeah. totally don't agree with that. Uh, you know, you need, you need some basic thing in life. You need some faith in a, in a, a perspective of a, it has to be a reason to your life. If there's no afterlife, well, you know, the first, time you come to if this if this is the end why bother waiting to the end mm. is, the, is the logic of that you know you, you need some you need something value or perspective something at the end that you're doing something for life you, you know it, whether you do it for a religion or for people mm-hmm. it's all the same thing uh, you know, uh, and and you do need a perspective in life, and I'm very strong in that. Yet, and you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, I, I I can see what an overly oppressive religion did to people, and I called it out, and I can also see uh, what an anti God does to people, mm. and I call it out. You know, because you know that's the way the pendulum goes; it goes you know, from one extreme to yeah, the other. Yeah. And eventually it'll it'll fall in the middle for a short, certain time again and, and the whole history will be repeated all over again. See, um, I, I, when I went to do weddings down the country, um, I was told you can't do them because you're right for the Sunday world. Yeah. You know. Oh. Uh, went to do funerals, can't do them, you're right what for the Sunday What would you say? So, okay. What can you do? If that's the kind of them, let them at it. I suppose I was, a priest, I was doing a cousin's wedding in Belfast and and I was signing, you have to sign a, a permission. It's called a delegation. You have to get from the priest, resident priest, you have to get permission to do the wedding. And I was signing it and he saw my name. 
I said, are you the guy that writes for that dirty paper? Uh, well, I said, I write for the Sunday World. Well, he said, hmm, well, you're not standing my altar. Get out. And I had to get out, and he went and did this wedding, abominably so. Right. In front of all my people, they all thought I was leaving the priesthood because I didn't do the wedding. Yeah. And... It was a horrific kind of a thing. It happened happened often. That happened often. So it's part it's part of the game, you know. It's bigotry in its own way. Well, it's just part of the game. The um so you I think one of the first podcasts we did on Crime World was talking mm. to you about being a chaplain in the prison system and how yes. you felt about what it felt like, what it smelt like, what it, you know, was like to be going in there. Uh, so you have done that in the prison system. You've been a chaplain for the Gardaí, but in a way, you've sort of been the same way for the Sunday World family over the years. And the entertainers you? as well. Yeah, and the entertainers, the entertainers as well, of course. Yeah. I, 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 but for the Sunday World too, there's been christenings and weddings. Christenings and sadly funerals. Mm. Uh, Saturday funerals too. And it has been a family. I've been, you know, I've been with it and I've seen editors come and editors go ahead and what editor I'm on at the moment, but it's a lot of them anyway. Yeah. You know, from, from Joe Kennedy right down in Colin McLennan and all the rest of it. Uh, <clears throat> and um, uh, so there's quite a lot of editors and quite a lot of people. And 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 the paper has reinvented itself yeah. quite a lot in, in different times and Media House has brought another aspect to it too. And I, uh, this what we're doing now is another aspect Isn't it? of it. Just yes, it's another aspect another of it. Form of journalism, and really. Is another form of journalism, always. Uh, and and so you, you you have to you have to move with the times, and it's kept me fresh and kept me. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm a long way behind the times, but uh, at least I'm trying to be part of the times. Absolutely. And I've been broadcasting, and I've been lucky enough to be successful in broadcasting. You know, broadcasted with RTE for about thirty, well, almost thirty years, uh, in a full time thing, two FM for a long time before. First one to broadcast into FM. Then, of course, I was 18 years with Terry Wogan, uh, nine years with, with uh, Chris Evans, and still going uh, on, on BBC Radio 2. Have my own radio programme for 1996. How long ago was that? 25, 26, uh, 26 years ago? Yeah. 27 years ago this year. So I have my own programme on radio also for 27 years. Did all that come on the back of, I suppose, your willingness, your openness and, and, that, and that Sunday World profile that developed? I, I, suppose, I, I suppose the way it worked was this, Nicola. What happened was that, especially after the abuse came, nobody wanted to talk. Mm. And I always felt if I could talk, I would talk. None of the priests, you mean, wanted to address it? No, no clergy it. wanted to yeah. talk to it. Not yeah. only lay people either did. Yeah. And of course, you, you, you hinted at it there, uh, Michael Cleary and Eamon yeah. Casey and so forth. Uh, just guys went onto the rock yeah. uh, after that. Yeah. Well, when and, you're constantly in a defensive, I mean, things that are very difficult to defend, it, it, it is obviously, I think anybody out there would understand how difficult it must have been. It was very difficult because particularly with Michael Cleary, who was a very close friend of mine, mm. uh, as indeed uh, were others involved in that story. Um, and, and and it had never been said to me uh, at all yeah. what, what was there, uh, what's going on. And certainly was no complaint. And, you know, and, and uh, um, I'm, you know, I attended Michael before he died and 
said mass with him before he died and all of the mm-hmm. people were there. Um, and it was never mentioned that there was anything. No, no, and if they had, I wouldn't have been the slightest bit worried about it. At least they seemed to be living as some sort of family and that was great. And he had, he had spent his money educating them. Um, I, I, I just feel the only, Michael got a raw deal, he gave himself a raw deal by not being honest. Mm. Not not being straight. He was an honest guy. I mean, nobody that I ever knew helped as many unmarried Was that in the 90s or the 80s that happened? I'm trying to remember. In 90s, he, 90s, early 90s, uh, about 93, 92, 93 uh, was when that happened. And let's just, sorry, remind people what we're talking about there because as I said to you, there's many people uh, listening who don't... His family still are around and, you know, they've never got over it really. Yeah, there was a kind of a... a, a um, a big son story world, that yeah. he had a secret daughter with a lady who was his his house secret son. Secret son, sorry, son, excuse yeah. me, yeah. Uh, and it happened that there was another one as well, as it so happened. Um, a possibility there was three at one point. There was a story about it. Anyway, he had these children with the lady who was his housekeeper. Yes, and was living essentially like while he was a priest and you know preaching celibacy. Yes, was living as a married man yes. as such. You know, and and you know. Do you know, I wonder how that story would be handled today. If I, I wonder would it be, I, well, you know, I, I wonder would it be, it like, certainly wouldn't. You see, it's, it's, see, it, people talk about him and Casey and him as if they destroyed the church. They didn't destroy the church. Mm. I think people now would say very easily, there shouldn't have been an issue about it. If they wanted to marry, they should have been able to marry. Yeah. And, and if they raised their children, well and good. Uh, and many others did it happen to, and it didn't. And it all, it's the secrecy that's mm. wrong. Not the act, mm-hmm. you know. And the secrecy was there because it was because it of the church destroyed, rules. It would have destroyed them. It was just it was a. Well, the whole point was time we can't talk about this in case it would give scandal, mm. and that was exactly the. In other words, you put a sheet over it and pretend that we're all good. Yeah. I never agreed yeah. with that, and, and because we didn't need to. Yeah, because nobody ever said that you have to be a perfect human being to be a priest. As a matter of fact, I've never heard God say that we should be a perfect human being. God accepts us as we are on the journey, sometimes good, sometimes bad. We we, we don't have to get good to get God. Mm. In fact, if we get God, we might get good. And that's the way it is. That's the way it should be. Uh, and I've always believed that. And it's, it, it, that came from my mother, not from theologian, theologians mm. or my father. You know, you, you just, the way it was, you treated other people as good people and it didn't matter whether they went to church or didn't went to church, whether they were Protestants, whether they were Romarian mothers, whatever they were, that's the way you treated them. Everybody had their own story and nobody to, had a right to point the finger at anybody else. I still believe that mm. is, is, is the way. Particularly, I do believe, and I'm going to say this now as a big strong thing, I've believed and for quite some time that the biggest mistake the Catholic Church and perhaps more Christian churches, but I'm speaking as a Catholic, has made, is that we have never developed a healthy spirituality of sexuality. Mm, mm. Everything arises from that. That we, even though we will theologically and logically say that sex is good, we actually believe it's terrible. Yeah, and it should only be there to create another human being, isn't that still the whole it's, mantra? It's, 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 so I mean, that's 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 reducing sexuality to animalistic type. Mm. You know, sexuality is the way we express love and affection, comfort and care for one another. Mm. 
battles for. And do you see a play? Do you see a time that that will that attitude and that development? Of I that think thought the people. Have, it's 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 maybe thirty years since I married uh, two people. Um, maybe I'm exaggerating thirty, but it's it's quite close to thirty years since I married two people who were not living at the same address. Yeah, who were not living at the same address. They were all, all of them were living at the same. Address. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, sorry. I've, it's, it's about thirty years yeah. since I married. Two, two people who are not living at the same address. Yes, place. yes. So in the last 30 years, everybody's living at the same address. Everyone's living together. That seems, yeah, I mean, there's so much more. So people coming. have worked out a sexuality for themselves. Yeah, yeah. All good people. Mm-hmm. All doing it the right way. You know, some of them. You know, they're, 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 but is there a place in the future for the there church? There is paper for commitment. There is paper. Gay marriage and... Yes, of course there is. All that stuff. has to be. Yeah. There has to be. It, it has to work out in its own way. If it's to exist well, as well, a place well, no, of, if they're to be fair to God. Right. I'm not. I, the problem is that they're more worried about their own existence than being uh, uh, bearers of the good news that, and mercy and compassion that God wants us to bring. That has been sidelined so that the institution can survive, and is and is run by clerical careerists by and large, rather than by people who have a vocation, a calling to help people discover God. That's what a vocation is. What about the Vatican? I mean. I don't know. Quite fascinating. Don't be there. <laughs> I, I often wonder, you know, I, I'd watch stuff. I like Francis now. I do like Francis. Is that or has the Vatican been, you know, an organised crime grouping as such? Well, you know, I, well, don't forget that in the 12 apostles that Jesus chose, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a crime gang there. <laughs> He didn't find any problem with it. And I mean, we still very you know often I mean? find headlines along that, those terms, the, the 12 disciples exactly. of such and such or whatever. Do you know um, what I mean? Yeah. So why, what is, why, are we, why are they pretending that they're perfect? Mm. And why are we expecting it to be perfect? We have human nature. We deal with the good and the bad and the ugly of human nature. And God finds a home for everybody. Tell me about Kevin Maron, because he's featured very heavily in this interview. You obviously had a really healthy, good, robust relationship with him. Mm. And there was a huge tragedy there. It was awful. Kevin was, he wasn't a unique genius, you know. He really had, he just had a way of getting a seeing talent and spotting talent. Mm. Uh, you know, Brendan O'Carroll is a great example. Yes. Uh, he uh, found him basically, yes, did he? Yes, he did indeed. And um, Dermot Morgan. Right. Uh, what did he like? Did he employ them? You mean no? He he, he, he was, wrote about them. He wrote about them, and, uh, and 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 you know they would be in his house. I would when I would go over to his house in Rathgar, as I often did, and he'd be sitting in a dark room and looking at television and thinking of funny things to say. And he just he just was he had a back page, which was a television critic, never been equaled, never ever been equaled. It's brilliantly insightful. And one of the things he used to, there was a program, religious program called Outlook, mm. you know, uh, at, and there was these fellas come on very piously and spoke lovely about God our Father and our Blessed Lady and, you know, this that the holy voice for the holy words. Um, and Kevin called it Look Out <laughs> instead of Outlook. <laughs> You know, yeah. just little things yes, like that, yes, you know. Yeah. And 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 one day I went up to the office and... Uh, Real media man, though, then, that had a sense of... Why? 
like it was more than just being able to spot a story. It was being able to sense the mood of the nation. Oh, it was very quickly. Have to and have he had, the comedy, he, don't you? He, and he had, he had great singers. Oh, he, he, uh, absolutely. When Kevin Marin would, would, would pick a guy to sing Colin Wilkinson, for mm, example, mm. N- nobody was passing any remarks on Colin Wilkinson. So he's Kevin always said he was yeah. great. He was the one to do it. Dermot Morgan was at a little his end at wit's end yeah, um, yeah. and 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 uh, I went up one day to leave in the copy is that day you had to leave it in physically uh, at that stage uh, and uh, Kevin shouted at me come in here Brian come in he was in the office and smoke around the place and there, as it was in the editor's desk at that time and he said here this man's going to imitate priests now from now on as a as a as a, as a on stage mm. uh, and and uh, what do you think of that well, I says, if he can make money at it, he's good because I can make no money at it being one. So if he can do make money at imitating one, good luck to him. Yeah. Just Dermot Morgan, yeah. whom I knew anyway, and whom everybody knew um, at that stage. And Dermot had just hit a blank wall. Um, but he came up with the idea that he would imitate priests. And he was going to call him his stage act, Father Michael Cheery. Right. <laughs> Which wasn't bad, you yeah, know. yeah. And Kevin says to him, for Christ's sake, why do you want to do that? So that's, Michael, Michael Cleary's an old man with a beard. He's not like you at all. You're more like him. So look at the two of you. You could be, you could be brothers. Yeah. Look, if you put your Roman collar on now, you'd be no different from him. I'll call you Father Brian Trendy. <laughs> and there, of course. Take a picture yeah. of it. He took a picture. He said, get a picture. Tom McElroy came in, took a picture of the two of us dressed up. Yeah. And the head and the thing was, a good kicked up to Darcy. <laughs> and that's how Father Trendy yeah. was introduced to the world. Amazing. Amazing. It was just incredible. He could do things like that. Um, um, he, he, he always was a big fan of Brendan O'Carroll's. Mm. Brendan O'Carroll was a waiter. Uh, and Kevin would be writing about him. Kevin O'Car- uh, Brendan O'Carroll was the waiter who uh, gave Mrs. Thatcher her dinner. Mm. Mm. He was the waiter that, that attended Mrs. Thatcher when she came in as an official visit here. So we had all that story. Kevin had all that story in it. I remember we used to meet him down in um, down near the Columbia Mills there when I would have been working for the Mirror. We had yes. offices in City Quay and he was struggling. Like he was still trying to be I was. He was struggling, yeah. And uh, yeah, he was so, so, always a really nice guy actually, Brent. He was. I still really is. Nice. A very nice guy. But tragically in November 1984, um, Kevin Marin along with the Evening Herald editor at the time, Niall Hanley, yeah, no. a Columnist for the Evening Herald, John Feeney, and a columnist for the Irish Independent, Tony Tom Hennigan. Hen- Tony Hennigan, yeah. Along with Kevin Marin, they all lost their lives on a in a plane crash. Oh, outside Bournemouth. They were on the Beaujolais run. Beaujolais run. Was, that was a big, big thing at that stage. Every year you would. It was a kind of a social thing here. It was. Um, and and um, uh, the editors would and writers would go be charged up with Beaujolais and come back and fill the pages with it next Sunday. I think there was. Some of the Cassidy's who were uh, yes, it was wine Cassidy reporters. wines. I mean, I actually remember the Beaujolais because my father, as I was telling you, was a wine merchant. Yes, and I remember around that time the the new Beaujolais. It was I think it was Plunk really, but it was to launch the, that so year of the Beaujolais. Anything in Ireland at that stage was, was Plunk, <laughs> but they'd be out and about, you know, giving out Beaujolais. The Beaujolais mm-hmm. to Rive was mm-hmm. the big thing, and yeah, and I think after this happened. 
you know, this this crash, it was never the same. I don't think we've ever really... I, I don't think it's ever been done since. I don't think it's been done. It was Tuesday. I, I went up again, I remember very well, and, up, and, and, and Kevin had retired as editor at that stage and he was sent out as a, or asked to go out as a, as a witty writer. For yeah. Him. He joined the boys. He didn't really want to go, believe right. it or not. Right. He didn't want to go because um, he said, oh God, Margaret's going to give out hell to me if I go in this. But he said, but they want me to go and I don't want to go at all. So mm. which I might have to go yet, you know. But they did. He flew off that afternoon with them. Mm. And I was at a dance that night and in the television club and uh, three or four people came up and he said, your, your editor's possibly been killed. And I said, what do you mean? And then I went out and got headlines and went up to Margaret and the family to be there with them. And it was a very horrible night. I had to go straight on the radio at seven o'clock the next morning to do a piece about Kevin. Um, and it was a horrible, horrible time. And of course, Neil Hanley too is a great friend of mine as well, as was John Feeney, who was in the same class mm -hmm. at university with me. Didn't know Tony Hennigan as well, but I didn't know him. Mm -hmm. I did most of the funerals actually at that stage. Very, very horrible, sad time for all of us. And, and I think the, the day after this dark headline on the Irish Independent was simply... Our darkest day. Our darkest day, yeah. For for so it was for for the independent group at yeah. that stage, anyway. You know, I mean, it must have been. I mean, it to was, think about that happening. We had, the last for them was yeah. in Mardargus, which I did at you that did, stage. Yeah. Uh, in Mardargus, I did Kevin's funeral. Then there was a big mass for all of them mm -hmm. in 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 Mardargus, uh, which I did at that stage, and it was massive, massive, massive crowd at it, um, and everybody was in horror at it, and of course the. You know, I don't think it was ever really settled as to what happened. No, mm. it doesn't appear to have been. There was no black box on the plane, I think, and mm. investigation. Nothing. It was really a small plane. It was a small plane. Yeah. So um, that really that left it that left it very difficult for those who survived. Yeah. I have got to say it. It's right. Those who survived as often uh, remain friends with the families to this day, actually. Right. Uh, uh, and um, so it was. Um, they had a hard time. Mm. They had a very hard time. Yeah. A hard time as a result of it. You know, you never got closure. You never got really anything out of it. I'm not sure they really got, well, I don't know how how, how they were left to live mm. uh, after it. Certainly, it was it was very difficult. And they were great friends and, and you know, it was the beginning of a lot of good friends ever since my good friends have been dying. So yeah. I've been burying my good friends right along the way, uh, right up the way. Friends that made me who I am, friends that made life very easy for me, friends that were very kind to me throughout their life uh, and they're going. So um, I could get a bit um, down about it, and, uh, uh, but the end of the day is, I've been very lucky. Mm. Uh, I don't know how long they'll keep me in the Sunday world. I mean, uh, I'd say you're you're good for another while now. Do you think so? I do. I do yeah. What's a while in the Sunday world? Good word in feel What's like. What's a while in the Sunday world? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, look, you went on over the decades to. I mean, you certainly did one of my christenings, and yes. done. I mean, people have been married, and there's always a closeness, I think, to the people working in the Sunday world. Ah, there is. Well, it was a big family. Sunday world was a very special. And we're always delighted to see you coming in well thank you very much you always have a great story for us <laughs> most of them we can't broadcast of course <laughs> well we're here today and anytime it's always well Nicholas you know yourself we don't have to have a podcast of a chat exactly exactly <laughs> and thank you for being so kind thank you so much
Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.